Okay, everybody ready? So take your Bibles and go to the book of Luke, chapter 11. In honor of my daughter being here, let me give you a little bit of a history of how we dealt with Lauren and her friends. Uh, Lauren always had this issue of dating weird guys. Well, no, she just married. No, that's not right either. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, I know it. I'm, I'm just kidding. Y'all just should know. I'm just pulling both of their, yanking their chain a little bit. Lauren did have a stretch where she uh, dated some kind of, I don't know if she was dating them. We think she was dating them. She just didn't tell us that. But it was a stretch where she was hanging out with some people that were a little bit strange. And... Um, so here's part of how we did with our kids, right? Uh, we wanted them to bring their kids to our house. Instead of them going and hanging out at somebody else's house where we couldn't see what was going on, uh, we just tried to make the environment such where they could come and hang out at our house. And uh, we got to know the, their friends. And, uh, and we told their friends, when you come to our house, we want you to make yourself at home. You get hungry. Go get food from the refrigerator or the, or the cabinets. Uh, I can promise you, I'm not going to go get it for you. So if you're hungry, go get it. It's all right. If there's food in there, treat it like it's yours. And so they did. And so we had kids in and you know, teenagers in and out of our house all the time. And so after, I think it was after Long got out of high school, started hanging around with these guys. And they were a little edgy. Now, Lauren has two big brothers and they did a pretty good job of keeping all of that in check. But So we came home one day, and uh, Lauren came in not long after us, if I remember right. And so these guys come in with, a, you know, it's a group. So it's a bunch of kids. And um, so I walk into my own kitchen. Let me make sure you understand. My own <laughs> kitchen. As I'm walking in, there's this Neanderthal kid. No. He's just a kid, right? And as I walk past him in my own kitchen, the kid looks at me and he goes, Sup? <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what's up. <laughs> you know, I've never been to jail, but. So uh, let's translate that for a second. I'm going to come back to that whole scenario in just a minute, but let's translate that for a minute. You ever find yourself in prayer getting a little casual with God? Or maybe even a little disrespectful with God? Now before you answer, because most of us I'm thinking are going to answer no to that. I think most of us have a pretty good healthy sense of who God is and how we should approach him. But I'm going to I'm going to suggest that we can be disrespectful with God and overly casual with God without being flippant with God. Cuz because a kid who says to me, you know, this 18-year-old sup, uh that's disrespectful. That was not a good day for that kid in my house. Okay? Uh, but if we're not careful, we can treat God that way. 
And sometimes we do that without realizing it, and we slip into a prayer mode that may be very comfortable for us. It may be very normal for us. It may even be the way we pray all the time, and our hearts be miles from where God is. And that's disrespectful. So I want to look at this passage, but, but let, me, let me kind of deal with this one truth. The way we view authority impacts the way we deal with authority. Okay, one of my big frustrations in society in America today is how uh, positions of authority are being treated as if they're not. And it triggers this whole landslide of events. And there's all kinds of arguments and reasons for that. I'm not getting into that. But the reality is the way we view authority impacts the way we treat authority. So away from the kid that I just talked about, let me go to one of Lauren's friends who got it right. Always she got it right. Her name is Amanda. And Amanda, is <laughs> she is a free spirit. She's just so happy to be alive. Everything's great. It's just wonderful. And look at the butterflies and let's go do cheerleading and, you know, the whole day. That's Amanda. And Amanda would come to our house and she took seriously when we said, if you're hungry, eat. She ate food, right? I mean like crazy. Uh, and so we started treating. I don't know what she's saying back there, but I think she's getting on my case. Um, <laughs> So we started, Teresa and I started treating Amanda like she was our own daughter because that's kind of how we started feeling about her. And she reciprocated that. And I think she even calls Teresa mom, if I remember right. But um, So Amanda would come in, and she wouldn't even stop to sit down or anything. She'd come through the front door all the way to the kitchen, go pick up Pop-Tarts because that's what she liked. We started buying Pop-Tarts just for Amanda. But without fail, if I said something to her that was even approaching being serious, like that, she got serious. Now, we joked around a lot, and I was always picking on her like I did on Lauren, like I'm doing on Lauren tonight. Uh, and we always had that kind of relationship. But when it was time for Amanda to get the authority part right of the relationship, she could do it. So I want to take that picture and I want to push us into this text tonight, all right? Because we're praying with Jesus and we're looking into how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We're in Luke chapter 11 and it's in the first few verses here. And by now you might be wondering, how come we didn't use the full version of the model prayer, which is found over in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount? And the reason I use it here is because it's, it's pulled down. I want, I want us to spend some time with Jesus in prayer as we go through the coming weeks and maybe even months. And so we could spend a long time just on the model prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, what's the next part? Okay, let's be honest. How many of you used the word hallowed in a sentence today before that? We don't, and, and I'm intrigued by that because one of the reasons I use the English Standard Version is because it's a little more modernized, and it's also very literal in the translation. Uh, and so I'm, I'm intrigued that they use the word hallowed here because there may be some other words they could have used that are, are equally uh, as uh, succinct with what we find in original language. So 
as we come to this particular passage, there's a couple of things I want us to see. We don't have a whole lot of time, and that's fine, because I don't want to belabor the point. I do want us to make sure we get this. But um, So l- let's do a very quick review. What did we talk about two weeks ago out of this prayer? Oh, we didn't read it, did we? Verse 2, and he said, verse 1, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So two weeks ago, we took part of this prayer. What was it? Father. And what I said with that was, that is the foundation of prayer. We begin prayer and our approach to God as we come to prayer with this intimate relationship. All right, so remember the Ahodu? Okay, the Ahodu kid is in the nursery back there, okay? And so before I came in here and, and we got ready to do this tonight, they were in my office, and we were showing them around the church office and all of that stuff. And at one point, Declan, my grandson, who's two and was hungry, hangry, as we like to say, um, he walked up to his daddy, and his daddy reached down, and he picked him up, and he pulled him close. Okay. That's the image of prayer I want us to have. And that's the image of prayer that Jesus wants us to have. He says to his disciples, when you pray... You start with Father. It's an intimate relationship. It's not this separation. Uh, It's not this um, formal kind of a thing that has no no strength behind it. It's intimate relationship as a father and a child. So now this next part uh, causes us to need to clarify our language. The phrase is, it's actually a clause, hallowed be your name. So we need to figure out what your name means and we need to figure out what hallowed means. And in the process of doing that, we need to figure out what Jesus is teaching us about prayer here. So let's get the easy one first. Um, Your name, and when we come to Scripture, one of the things we get when, when we start hearing about God and the name of God and And not even just God, there's other applications as we'll see here in a second. Uh, Name essentially is the equivalent of the thing or the person itself. So, hallowed be your name is a way of saying that you be hallowed. Okay? Let me use it this way. My brother is two years older than I am. He has a black belt in karate. Uh, he was the, whatever year it was, probably 1978, 1979, Texas State Judo Champion in the heavyweight division. Okay? My brother is a bad motor scooter, is another way to say it, all right? And so the way he parented his children was, um, actually, I, was, I wouldn't let him parent my children that way because he was harsh with them. I remember one day when my nephew was probably early teens, and my nephew was not really handling things well. And he was trying to kind of weasel out of a situation that was not going to be easy to handle. And I remember well as my brother got right in his face and he said, Hey, you're a road trammel, act like it. 
Okay, if you're a parent of a child, don't do that to your kids. Okay, now my brother would stand here and tell you the same thing tonight, so I'm not like picking on him. But the idea is your name is this, and so I expect you to act like this. Okay, that's the name. And so when we come to this, and he says, hallowed be your name, what we're finding is Jesus is saying to them, as you refer to God now, this particular, this is the first petition of prayer, by the way, that it has to do with the person of God, the character of God, who God is. Names in Scripture. Go back to the book of Genesis, and there's this guy named Abram, and God changes his name to Abraham, why did God change his name? I I can't hear you. Okay, each one meant something different. And so there's this moment in Abraham's life when God says, you're different now and I'm going to change your name. Okay, And there's symbolism to the name. It's just packed with meaning. And God says, your name was this and now I'm going to change it to this. And most of the time when we talk about Abram, it's hard for us to say Abram because we're so used to Abraham, right? Let me try a different one on for you. Genesis 35, I think it is. God changes the name of a guy named Jacob to what? Israel. So here's a little homework for you. Go back to Genesis 35 when God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And every reference after that in the book of, Je- of uh, Genesis, see if God refers to him or if the writer of Genesis recur- refers to him as Jacob or Israel. And you know the answer to that? I'm going to go ahead and do your homework for you. He still calls him Jacob. Abram is never called Abram again after God changes his name. God changes Jacob, which means what? Anybody know? Supplanter, okay? Like deceiver. He changes his name to Israel. Anybody know what that means? I struggled with God, right? So he still calls him Jacob later. Why? Maybe the character change didn't take. Maybe there's another reason. Pretty good homework. There's your, there's your weekly Bible study stuff for you if you want to dig a little bit. So my point in all of this is that as we come to this, in, in Scripture when we come to this statement, Hallowed be your name. It's a reference to the identity and to the character of God and who he is. All right? So far, so good? Now, that's the easy one. Hallowed. What's hallowed mean? I heard lots of rumbling there. That's good. Everybody's got a good answer, I'm sure. So the word means holy. That's why I get a little stuck on why translators say hallowed. Because... The word is holy. As a matter of fact, we find the same word used and translated other places in Scripture. It's usually translated as holy. It's set apart. It means that it's not just normal. It's to separate. It's to set apart. It means holy. I don't know how often we do Lord's Supper around here. Uh, I'll be finding out pretty quickly. But most churches have dishes that are holy. We have Lord's Supper dishes that we only use for Lord's Supper, correct? If next week I said to our kitchen staff, by the way, don't they do a good job for you? It's nice to come in here and eat. Um, 
If I said to them, I want you to serve sandwiches on the bread plates that we use for the Lord's Supper, do you think that would be my last day as pastor of this church? They're holy. They're set apart. Okay? They're, they're not like sanctified. It's not like you know, God has you know, put some kind of magic deal on them or anything like that. It's just we use them only for that, and there's a symbolic purpose for that. Okay? That's the word here. So what he's saying is God, hallowed or holy, I'll use my word, holyfied. I get to make up words because I have a microphone. Holyfied be your name. Now, in English, we would say the way that's put together is there's an adjective and then there's a linking verb. Aren't you glad I do grammar with you? An adjective and a linking verb and a noun. Yellow is the dog, right? That's, That's what it looks like. But the reality here is that this is written as a command. The, the way the Greek is put together here is the word hallowed is a verb, not an adjective. And so when Jesus says, play, pray this way, hallowed be your name, our English is a little bit squishy there. And so what we get is, if we pull it down in the way that we should translate it probably, is as an imperative, but it's got a little bit of a nuance to it. You know, an imperative, a command is like, turn that light off. That's a command. Get out of my face. That's a command. Go to bed. That's a command. So it's written that way. Now that ought to make you a little bit uncomfortable because, remember how I started this about uh, you know how we approach God, and all. so when we come to this, it's written as a command, and so it's almost as if, or it looks at first glance like Jesus is saying, "We're to tell God to be holy." Now, I must tell you now, that's not the way this is supposed to be read, but it looks that way. Here's what's wrong with what? What is wrong with that? What's wrong with saying to God, "Be holy"? He already is holy, right? So what is Jesus teaching us with this? And so I want you to come back to one of the things I think I said last time, and you'll hear me say it many times, is prayer is a positioning tool for us with God. It positions us when we see and we respond to God as Father, but it also positions us when we come to God and we say to Him, Be holy. Let your name, your character, your identity be holy. I just kind of gave you the clue there because I threw a word in on the front end of it. The way this is written is a command, but it's softened down so that we actually translate it, let your name be holy. It's, it's, this, it's this almost a permission, but it's really not a permission. It's maybe we change the word let to may your name be holy. You ought to start getting uncomfortable on the application side by now. Because we've already clarified that God already is holy, right? 
So when we come to do this, and what Jesus is teaching us here, I think, is that we have to come to prayer and we respond to God. The the foundation is we respond to God as Father and we treat Him as if He's a Father and let Him treat us as if we are His children. But now we get to this part of the character of God that it's the first petition. Before we ever get to any of the other stuff, Jesus says you approach God and you pray in such a way that endorses His holiness. Okay, so the, the practical playing this out is we can be disrespectful to God if we pray and we ask him for things that he would never do or give. It's a character thing. We also could be disrespectful of God if we go, and I, I've heard people Pray this way, and I'm not picking on it. I'm just saying, if we're not careful, even that Abba Father, that daddy prayer that some people like to pray, teenagers usually like to fall into that. Um, If you're not careful, that gets very disrespectful. So Jesus is saying that we move into prayer. The first petition is that we seek God's holiness. I have to say with that, because God is already holy, the way this applies to us is this is positioning and it is essentially saying, Lord, help me to live in such a way that people see you as holy. Help me to live in such a way that I reflect who you are. Let your name be holy in me. It's a positioning prayer. It's the one that moves us to the foot of the throne of God and allows him to still be on the throne and our lives to come in line with that. He is holy. He will always be holy. Even when we pray otherwise, he will always be holy. And so prayer is a positioning thing for us. And so we come into this, and this part of it, I believe, is a way of saying, okay, God, I I recognize, I'm going to put it right down on the bottom shelf, I recognize that as I come into this time of prayer, it would be easy for me to treat you as if you're anything other than holy. So I don't want to do that. I come in and I submit myself to you because you are God and you are holy. I could put you in a couple of places that fall in line with that. Let me just give you the references, and you can go look them up. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Those are verses that essentially say God's desire for us is that we be holy as he is holy. So this is prayer that mirrors Scripture. It's a prayer for yourself. Anybody watch the, the eclipse before the hurricane happened? I, I never cease to be amazed at the hysteria and the stuff that we get hysterical about as a people. And so the moon gets in front of the sun. So people drive across the country to go see the shadow. That's okay. I'm good with that. But that's not a bad picture for us, I think, as it relates how we come to pray because the reality is that sin in our lives blocks the glory of God and his reflection in our lives 
this part of prayer is the one that positions us, that says, I want to reflect your glory. I want to reflect your holiness. May you be holy in the way I pray and in the way I live. That's a good combination with the Father and let your name be holy. And so I'd say, work on it this week. Work on praying that way. See what it does to your prayer life. All right, let's pray and we'll go. Father, we thank you for your word once again. And even those things that seem simple to us as they come off the page, those phrases that we have said so many times that if we're not careful, they just don't mean anything to us. Those things teach us. And so we ask you to teach us how to let you be holy in our lives. I pray that you would burn deep within us the need to filter our prayer requests through this one. That we would never ask you to endorse something that we bring you in prayer that would reflect poorly on you. That you would help us to bow our knees before you as we come, even as we call you Father, and even as we relate to you as Father, but at the same time to allow you to be holy as you already are. Make us holy according to your word and according to your promise. In Jesus' name, amen.